Oh, hang on. Yeah, what are we calling this podcast? <laughs> Over underrated. Sous évalué. Überschätzt. Over underschätzt. Over underrated. Bon dia, boa tarde ou boa noite. Welcome to another episode of Over Underrated. Speaking in Portuguese there, because that's where I'm originally from. And that's where the special guest is from in the first of our two Eurovision specials, Paulo Mendes George, my beloved father. My dad has never been on a podcast. He only listens to one podcast, The Bugle, when I'm with him and I downloaded it for him. But I thought he'd be a good guest to have on because he's watched Eurovision for many years. And he takes us on a trip down memory lane. We're discussing songs from 1958 to 2019. Now I'm fairly chatty. I think that's one of the reasons why I started the podcast and you can see that he is as well. So our chat with him went on for so long, this is going to be a two-parter. So in the first part, he's going to be discussing his most overrated Eurovision songs. He's going on the criteria that they're all winners who didn't really deserve to win. And you'll have to wait till next week to hear what his underrated picks were and why. In the meantime, enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Over Underrated with Fran and Babs. How are we doing today, Fran? We are doing fine, although we had some hardcore thunderstorms today. I saw. What was going on? Because we're heading towards a bank holiday weekend when everyone can be free and we can only hang out outside, the glorious UK weather has decided to make sure that no one can hang out outside by having a thunderstorm for all of the bank, bank holiday weekend. Thank you very much. Thank you, British God of Weather. Um, yeah, similarly, so I've been working very hard today because I plan to take tomorrow afternoon off to cycle to some woods in the suburbs of Brussels, which have these magical bluebell carpets. It's meant to be beautiful. I've only been once, but kind of out of season. And guess when it's planning to rain? That's right, tomorrow afternoon. So... We're both cursed, aren't we, Fran? And that's why we're doing this podcast instead. <laughs> <laughs> we are not alone. We have a special guest. A very special guest. Another far-off place in Europe. Indeed. With Babs. Yes, the, the first blood relative on this uh, podcast, Paolo Mendes George. How are you, Paolo? Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Uh, I must be your oldest guest so far, I'm sure, and maybe for a long time. Oldest guest, first Portuguese guest, first guest who doesn't have their own podcast to promote. You're ticking all these boxes. I'm special. Yeah, you're so special. So special. We're very um, inclusive. We, <laughs> we, we, we champion everyone and everyone's invited to our lovely podcast. So I hope you have a lovely time. <laughs> So, Paolo, do you want to tell us about yourself, your music taste, and the topic that we're talking about today? All right, you're well, yeah. I uh, I was born in 1961 in Lisbon. Oh, wow. Okay, we're really going back. <laughs> <laughs> it was a summer's day, no. <laughs> we're trying to keep this down to maybe an hour podcast. <laughs> I retired last year. Uh, I lived in Portugal, the UK, and Luxembourg. The UK was roughly the 90s. And I'm now living in Luxembourg with my husband. Uh, I always loved languages. Um, that was one of the attractions of Eurovision for me. Uh, because, because Eurovision is the topic we're talking about today, right? Exactly, yes. Yeah. 
I'll get there. And uh, yeah, so languages really attract me, attracted me to Eurovision because uh, being Portuguese, I guess on the language front, I was I was fortunate as Portuguese are to listen to programs in their native uh, language read subtitles. So everybody was was familiar with French and English, but not uh, so much with the other languages. So even in Eurovision, as it was in those days, which was 12, 15 countries that were normally growing, um, it was the one chance or one of the few chances to listen to um, songs in, in, in a lot of languages. And then for me in music, melody is the uh, most important uh, governing factor. So pop music, uh, of course, is the, is one of my favorite styles of music. Not the only one, of course. I, I like. I guess I like most styles of music, but uh, melody is very important. Uh, so yeah. So Eurovision uh, fits the bill. Other reasons why Eurovision was was so important, uh, particularly in the nineteen. I think I watched for the first time in nineteen sixty nine, maybe. So interesting was that uh, Portugal in the dictatorship times, particularly in the sixties, then it changed a bit towards the end. Was a very grey place. It was a very. We were an, under a dictatorship. It was a very provincially tinged um, dictatorship. Um, and everything was very grey, maybe not as grey as communist countries, but very grey. And, and Eurovision was really a splash of colour, uh, although we watched it in black and white, because in fact, uh, in Portugal, we only had colour TV uh, very, very late, only in the mid 80s. Uh, so, Seriously? Uh, yeah. Uh, for... <laughs> so yeah, so it was uh, black and white. Uh, and one of the things that the, the, the presenter, the Portuguese presenter would be describing would be the colours, the, the colour and the, uh, the dresses in, in their glorious colors. And, 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 uh, yeah, so that, that was part of it. So yeah, it, it, it uh, ticked a lot of boxes, uh, pop music, melody, language. Uh, and then of course, the drama of voting, uh, which mm. is what keeps uh, everybody uh, glued to Eurovision. I think it's only in Britain, but I think it's in every uh, country is a show everybody loves to hate but that everyone uh, watches in secret anyway. This is what I realized with my colleagues when I was working in the UK. And I think Eurovision has had a few uh, defining cultural moments. And one of them was the, victor the victory of uh, Conchita Vos, uh, to mention one. I think that that was for me in terms of, uh, yeah, European culture uh, in, in a large sense, but maybe the most important event of the year. Uh, so yeah, Van Dan International. I was going to say yeah. May, yeah, the, the other one I was going to mention was Dan International. Uh, yeah, but Dan International, uh, you have to know that she's a trans woman. Mm -hmm. Conchita is a guy dressed as a woman wearing a beard. Uh, so I think the, the the splash was a lot, uh, a lot more, um, a lot bigger to the to the point that some countries were going to or did refuse to broadcast and the uh, Eurovision organization I think if I remember correctly actually said that either they would broadcast everything or not, nothing at all uh, so so there was even that sort of uh, friction uh, because of the of the avant-garde uh, nature of the thing so it's it's created in the kitsch it, it created in the 50s kitsch uh, to a French uh, design, but uh, I think it, yeah, it does a lot, and uh, it, it's still on sixty years later. I think it says something. I um, I was going to add before we were recording, but I wanted to save it for the record. That my dad says that Eurovision is the World Cup for gay people, so I just want to <laughs> put that out there as well. I wonder because I've only noticed that in the past decade in the UK, 
that has now become like this camp affair. Was it that way back in the 80s? Was it just become recent, in recent times being adopted? I think it was always camp, but in a very understated way, which was compatible with the tolerance of the times. So it was always camp in the sense that uh, women were uh, in the 60s, well, even 50s, 60s, it started in the 50s, in the 60s and early 70s, women had really designer dresses. As I said, the, the, the Portuguese speaker would describe the, the dress uh, in color because we were watching in, in black and white. So it was already camp uh, in, in, a, in a subdued way, whereas in the last decade, I think it has become camp in, in, a, in an over-the-top way. For the better, arguably. But yeah, Fran, I don't know really what you think about Eurovision. So thank you, Paolo, for putting forward such a, a pro succinct pro Eurovision argument. But Fran, what do you what do you really think of Eurovision? Or what did you think before you did the research for this episode? I mean, say obviously it's impossible to not know Eurovision, especially if you live in the UK. Um so to me it was, you know, Terry Wogan and his deadpan commentary of your vision so to, to me we've always kind of mocked it but then watching the um i watched a documentary before this surprise and people feel that we took it seriously up until the 80s and then we realized we were never going to win it so that's when we started to throw some humor on it a bit more so like, okay here we go and i think in the 60s and 70s the uk was trying a lot harder to win it, hence why we're putting you know, big hitters like Cliff Richard, for example, in it twice. And then we kind of like threw our hands and thought, okay, <laughs> we're never going to win it. So let's pretend that we don't care. And I watched um, Eurovision in Sweden. And I assumed, like you said, that a lot of other countries take it more seriously. In Sweden, they were making fun of it as much as we do. I wonder if it's the same in, in some of the new countries like the Balkans and the, and the former Soviet countries. Because they've only been in it um, less time, they may take it more seriously because also being a young country, they want to kind of promote themselves. And I guess when Estonia won it, that, that would have been a big thing for the country, wouldn't it? Because they've never really hosted a big tournament before. So I wonder if they take it more seriously. But yeah, um, and now, you know, I guess the UK has a very good history of music. So it feels very strange that we're now always voters last. And I guess, you know politics does make it does have a place in the uh, in the ratings and it's interesting that i think the first time that happened when people noticed you know tactical voting was i think in 1963 um they went to norway and they're supposed to say the number of the song followed by the score and the person who gave the votes forgot the first bit so they said oh can you come back and do it later on when you have it prepared and then it was between Denmark and Switzerland. And then when Norway came to do their um, votes again, they changed the score of what they gave Denmark. <laughs> Since 1963, it's been happening. It's not a recent thing. I think in the in the Balkan countries or in in what used to be the Eastern European countries, I think the I was talking about Western Europe when I say uh, it's the one it's the show that everybody loves to hate but watches in secret. Um, I think in the new in the new member new, mem new EU member states and the Balkans, it's all the countries that were in, in communist regimes uh, before 1989 and couldn't participate. I think they were 
uh, quite eager once they got uh, out of communism to actually be able to participate. So I think the perception is quite different uh, from those countries and they invest a lot uh, in it. Um, yeah. Even very poor countries like other. Famously, Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan invests so much money, and and when they when they won, like it was it was huge, and they could really profile themselves as Azerbaijan. Come to Azerbaijan. Human rights abuses. What human rights abuses? <laughs> it's a rich country, a relatively rich country, but even places like Moldova, who are the poorest country in Europe, they 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 make the effort the effort of putting on a show. Which is why Luxembourg. The excuse that you have. For not being in Eurovision for the last how how many years is it, Dad? Paolo, how many years is it, Paolo? <laughs> I have no idea, but I think it's uh, all the time. Uh, is it must be close to twenty years. Uh, yeah. I, I don't yeah. remember Luxembourg being in Eurovision since I lived here. Yeah. I'm not a Luxembourger, by the way, so I can uh, cop out of that one. But going back to <laughs> France's uh, comments, yeah, it's always been very political, even though they say it's not, uh, to the point that when it was in Russia, Putin visited the, uh, I think Putin visited the uh, the, the preparations, visited the studio during the, the, the preparations. Um, and yeah, so new countries put a lot in it because there's a lot more, it's a way of uh, advertising yourself. And and in, in the times before the end of communism and then becoming EU members, uh, something happened uh, in terms of opening uh, after each of them won Eurovision. I think Latvia was the first one to win uh, of the new member states to win Eurovision. And coming back to Britain, yeah, I mean, Portugal didn't win it for 60 years. I mean, Britain can win it, of course. I I think the, the, the Brits are just at, at that point when, because it's much more difficult to win now because uh, each country is not one in 15 or one in 18, is one in, uh, with the semi-finals, it's one in what about forty or something. Yeah, but the UK is always so, in it, isn't they? Are they so? Yeah. The UK, yeah, the UK is one of the uh, one of the big ones that uh, is is entitled uh, to, to go every year. So I think the the, uh, the the Brits are a little bit taking the Mickey with it, uh, thinking if we can't win it that easily as we did before, then we yeah, as as Fran was saying, get some, get, get some humor in uh, because I, I think that the Brits, when I was a child in the in the in the yeah 60s and, and uh, early 70s they were one of the big ones not just big big country big ones musically they were one they were always one to contend with and they they, they won several times i think we won so we won a sandy shore in 1968 i believe or seven and then um we won of brotherhood of, brotherhood of man 1976 um, and then bucks fizz and then a massive weight until Katrina and the Waves, 97, and that's it. So I think we only won four times, but in 60 years. <laughs> but not, not most countries have won less times. Uh... But I, I, I do feel that that's a very British thing. I remember having a conversation about the Olympics with uh, British people, and they're like, well, we only won this many gold medals. And it's like, you know, there are countries that win zero medals, like zero any medals. And I think when you're a country that's so used to dominating um, on culturally and musically as as the uk is um i, I think it does make a difference i think it goes for all uh, all areas of activity because i think big countries like uh, the uk france germany the the big ones which were much which were in terms of um economic power they were really the big powerhouses of uh, europe or the world and they had uh, a culture and an infrastructure that nobody else could match so 
the, the field was not as rich as it is now, be it Eurovision, the Olympics or whatever. Uh, in the 60, 70 years ago, there were only half a dozen countries which really could put serious teams. Now you, you have countries from all over the world. So it's just that the competition is not just uh, half a dozen of your peers, it's the whole world. But also, yeah. I think the problem is, if I understood correctly, the Eurovision entries for the UK are judged by a panel of judges and not the public, unlike in other countries. I think in Sweden and in Portugal, the Melodien Festival or Festival de Canção, which are the ones that decide, I think there is at least a partial public vote. So I, I found that, yeah, a lot of recent British entries have been so uninspiring because it's either like, right, we're going to camp it up and kitch it up to the max, like um, Scooch, or we're going to have a string of the world's most boring ballads in the world. And it's like, well, Eurovision is not just that anymore. Also, what I've noticed recently is like a lot of entries in Germany and Scandinavia are already top 10 pop hits before they even do your vision, which is a massive advantage, surely. Uh, isn't that in the UK? Isn't there well, a no, 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 it happened. I think one of the, the German winners was already on the radio. And in the UK, we've never heard that song maybe once or twice before we see it on your vision. So, yeah, that does give them a little bit, a tiny bit of an advantage if it's already uh, hitting in mainland Europe before it even performs. Yeah, because I, 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 I thought there was a rule that if you if you release a song for Eurovision, right in, guys, it you can't have released it at least, like, more than maybe one year in advance before it goes to Eurovision to avoid that, I think. But definitely, you know, Tattoo have been in Eurovision, Blue have been in Eurovision. So you can definitely have acts that are big, performing in Eurovision, but I don't know if you can have a song that's been released too far in advance. But I, I guess from the moment they win the national, uh, they, they are chosen by the national uh, entities, that then they are, then they yeah. are public. Then, yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. What's your opinion on the language? Because obviously, I remember when I first watched Eurovision in the 90s, most countries were singing in English. And then they changed it to, you had to sing in your national and then that was like, whatever. <laughs> I, I, well, as I said, for me, when I was a child, uh, part of the charm of Eurovision was to listen to, and, and we were not exposed to the world uh, like people are now. It was to listen to different languages, um, even if there weren't that many, because there were 15 countries and five of those had an entry in French. Um, so... I think it's more charming to listen to it in a national language. Uh, but from a competition point of view, of course, it's much less accessible if it's not in English. And that's why most countries wanted to, to start doing it in English. And eventually that's what uh, was accepted and is now the rule. So I think it's a pity in terms of language diversity, but I think it's fair that it doesn't put non-English speaking countries at uh, disadvantage to begin with. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a tricky one. I, I think what would be nice would be a mix, which some countries do, you know, like they'll have the chorus in English or the other way around, they'll have most of the song in English, but the chorus in the native language. But yeah, I think especially when you when you watch it on BBC, they do have the the translated lyrics immediately which can cause much amusement. And I'm sure we're going to get to that. Like I, I looked up the lyrics for every single one of these choices because they can often be very funny. Um, but yeah, as you say, it's totally understandable that people want to sing in English, but that's why we were so proud, weren't we, Paolo, when Salvador Sobral won for Portugal, singing in Portuguese, very simple song. 
parliament passed a resolution of congratulations to them. There was a public session of parliament. Maybe you don't know that. Uh, and they were there in the galleries uh, listening. Yeah, it was very formal, very uh, bureaucraties, but but it yeah. was done because yeah, we we will get there. Maybe maybe when we get to the songs. But yeah, it was not anymore. But it was a matter of national pride, uh, winning or a national humiliation coming back with zero points. Yeah, because Fran, it was the, that was the first time Portugal won. I was going to say Euro 2016 or Eurovision. What was the bigger thing? I know what Paolo's going to say. I, I, I don't think I quite got it. Euro 2016 or Eurovision 2018 or 2017. Sorry, what were you most proud of Portugal winning? Oh, the football! <laughs> I didn't even remember that Portugal won. The football. <laughs> well, that's your answer. <laughs> right. I, yeah, that was, uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's Paolo in a tea for you, for everyone there. Football, what football? Um, yeah, so Eurovision for me, so I, I was someone, I'm now a huge fan of Eurovision, but I definitely rejected it for years uh, when I was going through my pretentious teenager phase, which I'm sure Paolo remembers very well uh, because he had to live through it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. I, I saw you biting your lip there and I was just like, oh yeah, the trauma's coming back. But I think, yeah, I'm a huge fan and I, I think I've become an even huger fan since with, with my family, with my friends, I've attended to Eurovision. So I went to Austria 2015 and there's been 2018 and it's, it's even better to kind of live it and watch it live. It does annoy me as well that when people say, oh, it's just bad pop, because that's a very broad brush stroke to be painting it with. I often use Lordi as the example of like, well, you know, if a camp metal band can win it, you know, anyone can win it really. And I think there's a lot of interesting music that I've discovered from Eurovision, a lot of alternative acts that uh, that come through that if you actually, you know, are a bit of a geek about it and get into it, you, you can discover a lot of good music from it. Yeah, I live in Brussels now and you'd, you would have thought I would have done some kind of Eurovision party to celebrate with my friends of, of all nationalities, but I haven't done that yet. And I, I don't know when that's going to happen uh, anytime soon. But yeah, I, I also enjoy the the World Cup nature and the voting and the rivalry that you have with other people. I think my opinion on the semi-finals element that's been introduced, I don't quite know how I feel about that, about the fact that now more countries can participate, which I think is good. But at the same time, I, I kind of miss the whole being surprised on the night element of Eurovision. I think that's changed in the last few years. You know, before I would really not do anything, not hear anything and just, you know, take in the night. But now it's it seems like there's a whole world around it. I follow a few Eurovision fans now on Twitter and they are tweeting about it from way in advance. But at the same time, I think it's fantastic that something that yeah is so old is, is still going. Um, What's your opinion on the new voting technique of having audience and judges? I think it's much better, uh, personally. Especially, well, there's one year where I... Righteous ind indignation uh, that, you know, it was an underrated pick really came in the position that it did and I think yeah because it's such a political thing you know it, it can be political also in the in the juries at least opening it up to an audience I think gives it a bit more of a fair shot and, and myself I, I have to say I didn't mention it at the beginning but uh, I was going to say it in response to a comment and to Barbara's that she was not watching Eurovision for a long while yeah I was not watching Eurovision for a very long gap um, because you know, raising a family, uh, first military service, raising a family, uh, da, 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 da. so from around 1986, 87 to 99, I... Oh, no, 
We watched 97 when the UK won. That I remember. Well, I think Eurovision became uh, popular, became, I think, certainly more popular and in a way, uh, in, in brackets, acceptable. When uh, at the 25th anniversary of Waterloo in 1999, pop bands of the day started mm, going back to ABBA. And I think it was also, also came about because of the Mamma Mia show opening up in London. More Which or less we saw. <laughs> so, so anyway, so in, in 1999, all of a sudden, uh, ABBA became uh, super made, well, more, more talked about and maybe acceptable uh, than they had been before. And, and 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 Eurovision as well, so I think for me that that was the, um, the thre- in a way a threshold year uh, for Eurovision. So, so can you tell me about how you came to choose these songs? Because you said you missed a lot of Eurovision. So had you gone back and listened to all of the winners? How did you come to choose these tracks? I'm a, I'm a civil engineer. I do things very <laughs> thoroughly and systematically. So what I did uh, was I uh, went through the list of uh, all Eurovision, uh, all Eurovision since the beginning, including the ones I hadn't watched, because there were some songs in there that I knew. And uh, in particular, uh, there were lots of songs which for me were very much underrated. Uh, So rather than the five I have chosen, I think there were about 15, 10 or 15, which I thought were quite underrated. So... I had to choose from those songs which ones for me were particularly underrated. Um, and then in, in the process, maybe I also found some overrated, but I think overrated and underrated in, in the context of Eurovision and overrated for me was more that uh, a song that won when there might have been other th- songs which were more deserving. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I, I like, I like, Virtually all, not all of them, but I, I, I like or even very much like um, the overrated songs, maybe except for one. Uh, but there were other songs then which uh, had merits that these perhaps didn't have. Before we get into the songs, I think we should outline uh, mine and Paolo's relationship with music, which is very combative. Going into this, I was like, uh, uh, am I going to like anything he's picked? But I, I have to say, having looked, I am, I am pleasantly surprised at the, at the pick so far. And, and yeah, from what I understand, with the overrated, ev- everyone in this overrated list is a winner. They, they all won, and that's why you picked them, because they won, but you think they were much better deserving people. Overrated. All right. Paolo, your first choice for Overrated. Overrated. Uh, it's, it's a song I very much like, in fact. I think uh, it's, um, it's, uh, it, well, it's the last winner. It's uh, Arcade by Duncan Lawrence uh, from the Netherlands. I very much like the song. Uh, it's, a, it's a pop ballad, uh, which I uh, very much like. Uh, it's just that it's... Um, in a certain way, less remarkable than some of the other songs that were there uh, that year. Um, and one of the more remarkable ones, uh, maybe, even if I, as a melody, I like it less, was the Italian entry, Soldi, uh, by Mahmoud. Yeah. Uh, and, and, but other, other entries uh, also, I thought, were maybe uh, 
more remarkable than, than that one. But I, I do like it a lot. So it's here more as a symbol of the sometimes um, less remarkable songs that win when other more remarkable songs uh, don't get to win. And sometimes those other remarkable songs get, get to be in the first three or the first five, but sometimes they're really very far way down the list, even as in one of my underrated with zero points, which was uh, uh, particularly uh, unfair. Fran? Yeah, I wasn't a big fan of it. I mean, you know, we just spoke about how you don't get many performers going solo. This is strictly just a guy on the piano. Staring deep into the camera, deep with his eyes, flirting with the camera. Hey, there's no like dance routines or masks or anything. And maybe because of that being quite popular, people like the contrast of him keeping it real a little bit more, maybe. He looked like Dan Stevens from Downton Abbey, which is interesting because <laughs> he isn't the Eurovision movie that came out this year last year. And yeah, it, it sounds like a Sam Smith song to me. Mm. Um, but slightly too bland though so yeah I can see why you thought it was overrated when I watched this it was one of the songs that just went by me and then when it started to win I was like what and had to go back and try and remember what the song was because yeah it was that bland to me but I will give it a two out of twelve Ooh. okay Paolo, what would you give it? Uh, so, no, I would give it more than two out of twelve. Uh, I would give it um, maybe, forgetting the context of the other songs that I've chosen, I would give it maybe eight out of twelve, six out of twelve, some, somewhere there. Yeah, I obviously watched this Eurovision. I remember thinking, well, this is a bland song, and all the bookmakers said that it was going to win, and then it won. And I was like, well, yeah, this this is when Eurovision is annoying um, because there were definitely there were so many, you know, Soldi by Mahmoud, as you said, Paolo from Italy, Hua by Bilal Hassani from France, which is this uh, this French Moroccan guy dressed, you know, very in a very feminine way, and he had like a uh, a fat d- dancer on stage dancing with him. It was all very symbolic. Infamously, Hatari, the uh, Icelandic, what are they called? Techno-industrial and punk rock band who like to incorporate elements of anti-capitalism and BDSM-inspired attire. Yes, exactly. Like way, way more memorable. And this was this was bland. But actually, shockingly, I think there's much worse than this. I think it's it's forgettable, Fran. I totally agree with you. I I, I listened to it two or three times. Like can't remember a thing but it's got slick production it packs a lot in for for three minutes and I agree also Fran that yeah after Salvador Sobral from two years ago who also had a very simple staging you know just you know a man singing I think there has been a bit of a switch to that I I think there are some Eurovision years where it's like ballad country and you're like oh god this is so boring Um, and then other times where it's kind of eschewed I think this year was a bit more of a mix but I think definitely since Salvador won, there's there's a lot more, but um, and apparently uh, it's really big on TikTok at the moment. So a lot of YouTube comments are about like, oh, I just well, some people saying I discovered this on TikTok, and then other people going like, uh, I'm a true fan because like I didn't discover it on TikTok, I discovered it on Eurovision. Yeah, okay, yeah, that, that indie thing, Eurovision, <laughs> yeah, the indie thing that no one watches, um, and it's got some classic terrible lyrics of small town boy in a big arcade. I got addicted to a losing game, loving you is a losing game how many pennies in the slot i would score it a bit higher than you fran i think i would score this song about uh, a four or five out of uh, 12. when we're talking your version i'm really bad at, at picking the wrong horse like if i yeah. love that song it will get under 20 points total 
all the time. I, I genuinely think, I, I don't think there has been a Eurovision that I have watched where my favorite song has won. I think the only one that I guess I understood was Manzemelo with Heroes. Was that 2015, the Swedish entry? Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty good. Again, he I was swear that was a radio hit. I swear that they said that. Hmm. Uh, I, I wanted Waterloo to win. Oh, of course you did. <laughs> Of course you did. Although it's one of the other songs I like less, but that's uh, mm-hmm. another podcast. Yes. But I guess back in those days, there wasn't many sort of rocky pop songs, so it must have really sort of like popped out. Uh, absolutely. I mean, in those days, I mean, Eurovision, if we, even if you read a little bit about it, was a, is, a, is a French design thing, which was designed to almost not to be rock, pop more to be in the model of a French chanson. Uh, and ABBA were the first ones who really broke the mold of the uh, ladies in very nice cocktail dresses uh, singing uh, pleasant uh, ballads. So, with, yeah, very nicely done here. Uh, and it was so different that as a, as a 12 or 13-year-old at the time, I really wanted them to win and I, I was very happy with it. Well. Okay, Paolo, hit us with your second choice. Okay, the second choice. The second choice is uh, Ella Nikki. Uh, running scared Azerbaijan 2011 and it's uh, it's not a word I usually say about songs because uh, I like uh, soft but it's so bland um, and it's no different from dozens of others and uh, yeah I, for me it's uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I, yeah, this is really overrated uh, but I, I think Part of it, maybe it's time to, to talk a little bit about, about tactical voting, not just tactical voting. I think in today's Eurovision, um, there are uh, countries which, which get a lot of votes from countries that they used to be part of. And I'm thinking particularly about former Soviet republics and um, former Yugoslav republics. Uh, even if the breakup of Yugoslavia was quite uh, uh, traumatic, it's the case that there are many people living in uh, many people from any republic living in another republic. And apart from that, I mean, if you listen to a language in, uh, to a song in your own language, you're going to relate to it uh, at a level that you don't relate to other songs. So I'm not saying it's just people doing calculists. Um, the song is in English. Yeah, no, it's clear. Yeah, in this case, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, yeah, sorry. In this case, it doesn't, uh, doesn't apply. But still, you have, uh, you have a much greater uh, cohort of people from the former countries uh, that will be inclined to, to vote out of uh, uh, what's familiarity. Uh, Apart from yeah. Ireland, who still give UK two out of 10 or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, yeah well, there's, there's beef there. <laughs> yeah, well, the, 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 a similar thing in Portugal, Spain, yeah. yeah. The, 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 but the, Portugal regularly gives 12 to Ukraine because there's a big Ukrainian population. Yeah, no, but this is, this is the other thing, and, uh, is that one of the, the, the best way to understand uh, voting in Eurovision is to go and find the map of Europe, or Europe, Europe, wider Europe with uh, the second uh, nationality in any given country. I don't know, maybe Germany votes more for Turkey than other, than mm-hmm. other countries, for example. And I think that's, uh, I think th- this type of thing tends to favor nowadays um, 
former Yugoslav, uh, so Balkan countries and former Soviet republics. But I'm wondering whether in the case of Azerbaijan, it played a, a role, although I, I have to admit, I didn't go uh, back and uh, analyze the-, the, the You didn't? Oh, come on. <laughs> I wonder who Switzerland favor, Germany, Italy, or France. It'd be interesting <laughs> going back. Guess it depends on the yeah population ratio uh, of the country. Well, no, but they have chosen uh, to sing in a song of which there was no song that year. For example, I think they have chosen to sing in Italian when there was no Italian entry or something to be mm -hmm. a little bit more original. So yeah, I, I think this one, as I say, is the one song from the whole list that I, I yeah I don't have I don't have any grudge against it, but I yeah no I wouldn't I wouldn't have it on my playlist. Harsh. Harsh, maybe uh, one point, yes. Fran, do you have a grudge against I it? I don't have a grudge. I kind of thought it was Bastille for Starbucks. Like, you know. Sorry, Paolo, you won't get that reference, but I, I did and I enjoyed it. <laughs> a watered down killers adding more water becomes this, you know, elements of electro pop, which is kind of pop one in, in the charts, but, you know, smooth it all down to make it Eurovision friendly. Um, I can, I have literally, are these all winners? Because I do not recognise yep. any of these and these are in recent time. So mm -hmm. um, I watched the performance and yeah, they seem to have a lot of fun. They're enjoying themselves. I don't know why they're running scared. I should have maybe investigated the lyrics more. Do you guys, why are they running scared? They say, I'm running, I'm scared tonight. I'm running, I'm scared of life. I'm running, I'm scared of breeding because I adore you. So love overwhelms them. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but four out of 12. <laughs> uh, I absolutely hated this. This is, when people think of cheesy bad pop in Eurovision, this is exactly the kind of song that represents it. The, everyone's wearing white on the stage. The singers have no chemistry at all thought it was quite forgettable there's some out of tune singing as well which so yeah that it was one where i heard the studio version i thought god then i i saw the performance and i was like oh it, this is even worse so yeah, the studio versions a lot more crafted yeah it's, i guess it's one of those hard things isn't it if you're going to do a performance do you choose energy and dancing and maybe a few vocal issues or do you concentrate fully on the vocal i guess it's a hard thing to choose I, I think I'm thinking of recent winners, but I, I think staging is more important. And I think when when singers are bad, you can really notice. Okay, like some some are kind of Gemini, obviously the the British uh, famously, you know, not great song, and then they were totally out of tune. Bless them. But I do think staging and a concept definitely sells it more. Conchita, for example, she has a great voice, but it was everything that kind of brought it together. Netta from Israel, like, again, she has a good voice, but, you know, it, it was, again, the, the whole concept. So I think it is worth focusing a bit more. Um, it's interesting to watch Bucks Fizz because they are not singing well at all in that oh, really? live version. But like, people uh, just remember. <laughs> skirts. There you go. Done. And yeah, I remember this year, so many, so many memorable songs. One that Paolo and I sing all the time. I will be popular. You will be popular. I, I, I actually did. I'd forgotten it was a Eurovision song. I was just like, oh yeah, it's just that song that we sing. Oh no, it's it's from here. That's that's where it's from. And it came it came third. Jedward with lipstick, who were very. I like that song. <laughs> I like that song. I like that song too. Blue were there, but yeah, it was 
fine. Uh, yeah, I give this song nul point. Blue sort of at least got in the top three. That was yeah, a travesty. I knew, I knew so many people who were into blue when I was a teenager. It really surprises me. I, I think it's it's really nice when a country wins for the first time. Like I remember when Serbia won, for example, and that was with a seemingly a very LGBT song. You know, she was like a, a, a butch looking lady and there were lots of women on stage. That felt again, like a bit of a moment of like, you know, a country with not the best LGBT rights record. Um, and it is always nice when they say like, oh, you know, this country's never won before, but uh, yeah. it, it, I also found it very nice when Turkey won uh, mm-hmm. with a female singer also. But I think it was the Turkey of pre-Erdogan days uh, before things started to slide back as mm. it is, uh, in the last uh, decade or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that was very nice to to have uh, a country not particularly known for pop music to, to win Eurovision. I, I, I can't remember which of the Balkan countries was the first to do Eurovision, um, but I was watching an interview and they were literally running through gunfire to get onto a plane to go and perform Wow. And the uh, journalist who was German said, do you think you have an unfair advantage because people know your backstory? <laughs> and it's just like, what? <laughs> oh, yeah. Love risking But yeah, speaking of peace and Germany, what's your next pick? <laughs> <laughs> My next pick. <laughs> the, the, the version of the girl with playing the guitar. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and Baba knows I, I like syrupy songs, but honestly, this really is this is the really ultimate uh, syrupy song sung by the virginal Nicole. And if you know a little bit of German, or if you go uh, translate the lyrics, in the first four verses, she she's like a flower at the start of winter, a fire in freezing wind, an old doll whom nobody likes anymore. And later in the song, she's hopeless like a bird in the wind. Oh, oh, bless! Please like me. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so it's it's, a, it's yeah. I think the, the, it's not just syrupy. Uh, I, I can't find the word. But, cynical? Yeah. No, I'm cynical. I mean, maybe she meant it, but it's uh, yeah. It's uh, look at me. I'm poor little me. Look at poor little me. But it, it did get the, the the. I think partly the sympathy word, and it ticks a few other box, uh, boxes. I mean, I. It is memorable in, in in the sense that everybody still remembers it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think or many people will still remember it. People who watched uh, Eurovision in 1982, they will still uh, remember it. And 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 the melody is nice. I, I have to say, I, I like the melody. But I think the, even for me, uh, too much syrup. And it's definitely a song not from 1982 and it's like uh, it's like 1967 it's like it's just such an old-fashioned uh, track <laughs> also live from harrogate mm. sexy harrogate in north in north Leeds. <laughs> <laughs> how did that happen um i love watching the live performance because the drummer does not want to be there he literally oh, looks like just being dumped. He's just staring into the... <laughs> I love, I love what's, because obviously, back, back in those days, you got the full band, didn't you? So you could spot everyone doing it. I enjoyed the harp. I can imagine this being a, a slow dance at the church disco. So there some nice climbing vocals near the end. Um, but I guess, you know, no gimmicks. And uh, what's interesting is that I think when she won it, she then went back and she sang it in English, German, and French. 
and Dutch. Yeah, yeah, to unite the, the Europe, and said that like I think Israel gave the song twelve, and at a time she took it emotionally that they they believed in peace. So she then went to Israel and performed the song and saw the soldiers put their guns down and hold hands. Wow. Okay, so she's doing a lot there, Nicole. <laughs> so wow. thank you for for world peace, Nicole. No, as I said, I, I, I like the melody. And at the time, it had the added interest for me that I, I was learning German. Uh, and the song, the, the, the lyrics are sufficiently uh, simple and the diction was very good that I could understand uh, quite a bit of it. So that made me... Uh, that made me quite happy. That. I mean, it could be it could be argued, correct, Paolo, that it's thanks to German that I'm here because it was you and Mum doing a German course that uh, kind of brought you together. Closer together. Going, yeah. going, going together to the uh, final examination. So you know, yes. can, can we say that Nicole helped me get here? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Yes. Mold peas. Perhaps. It's about the same, isn't it, on the on the on the world scale. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, it's a, it's a typical chanson type song, um, but I have to say the chorus is quite earwormy, you know, I'm like it's, it gets stuck in your head. And I mean, kudos for that. I think it's after two more forgettable songs, this one definitely is not forgettable. I I'm with you, Fran, that it looked like a time warp that that performance because it looks like something from the 60s or 70s and then you're like 82 what <laughs> the hair and the, the and hair the, and yeah. the wardrobe i mean yeah. it's uh the white suits of yeah. the of the singers it's um provincial yeah. but i i kind of enjoyed how calm it was because i think there's so much bombast in the because even duncan lawrence where he's singing like a quiet song on piano. It's like the camera's spinning around and he's looking. This is very, very calm, very understated, very earnest. But this and is yeah. 1982, remember? Uh, yeah. yeah. It yeah. wasn't the, always as bombastic as it is now. Exactly. But I mean, for me, who's only watched it since the 90s. like uh, yeah. And the year before, Bucks was one, so it's quite, quite yeah. different. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, there's some interesting facts about it. So yeah, she's released the song in like loads of different languages. It's the only Eurovision entry to stop top the sales charts in every territory it was released in. Um, it Until Katrina and the Waves, it was the song that won by the largest margin, 61 points. And the English language version of the song was the last Eurovision winner to top the charts in the UK. So, you know, she, she clearly had an impact uh, no, no, it, it is memorable. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I knew I, I knew the chorus, but I don't know where, I mean, I don't think you listened to it. But I checked out, and most of these um, singers didn't really do much of it. Like, not, not many of them have done an ABBA. Most of them, this was the highlight of their music career, which I found interesting. Yeah, I, I think that, that probably happens. No, no, no. ABBA, I think ABBA are the famous exception, I, I, I would say, in Eurovision, that, they, that it, is, it really was a springboard for them, yeah. And I guess I mean, Celine Dion-ish, maybe, but... Ah, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. And Lulu, Sandy Shaw. Well, Lulu was maybe already known mm, in the yeah. UK. Yeah. yeah. Well, Loïc Notet, who was for Belgium in... In Austria, yeah. In, yeah, it was like 20, okay, 2015. Good, good. Uh, he's he's big in Belgium. Like, he's, you know, I, I have a friend who, like, queued up to see him sort of thing. So sometimes it maybe it is that they are big, maybe in the in their own countries only or in, in the, the countries that speak their languages. I give this a, yeah. a four out of 12. I, I also give this a four out of 12. I agree. Pardon? Maybe eight out of 12. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Eight, Interesting. Maybe more even. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's just that, yeah, it's too virgin, virginal. Yeah. 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 
We don't yeah. know if she was a virgin at the time, guys. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I, did, I did not think recording a podcast with my dad, virginal would be the word that he would be saying the most, but there we go, virginal. I'm going to, yeah, I can cut, I'm going to cut that out and uh, and uh, and make that the, the prime selling point for this episode. No, right, Vicky. So Vicky, now the next song, Vicky Leandros, 1972, um, number one. It's a, it's a very good song. I think it's uh, it's one of Eurovision's most memorable songs. Um, the melody is very nice, and the delivery by Vicky Leandros is excellent, particularly if you if you can speak French. Uh, but as again, as a 10, 11 year old boy, I was really pissed off that um, uh, New Seekers New Seekers uh, didn't win with Backsteel or Borrow. It was uh, it was uh, um, one of those. Uh, uh, times, I, it, it, shall we call it, call it a cultural war, no, not cultural war, it was uh, 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 French chanson versus pop. And as a, as a young person at that time, I obviously was more into pop than into uh, French chanson. And then the reason why I put it here, although I like the song so much and the delivery was so exceptional, is that the lyrics are really over the top submissive it's incredible i mean by the by the end she concludes by by saying she will be the shadow of the shadow of the man who just left her for another woman uh, i mean uh, it, it's the other end of the spectrum from lana del rey eat your heart out okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh but 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 the lyrics are, they are they are they are very nice i mean the, the the lyrics in french are very nice it's just that the content is so over the top submissive, but then in the research that I didn't know, I think one of the authors of the lyrics was her father. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a bit weird. No, but so um, it was originally written with German lyrics, but then a French guy who had written the winning lyrics for the song Un bon, une, un bon, une, ah, un, une, rue. une rue, which I love, yeah. I don't know. Uh, he then adapted the lyrics. So I, I don't know, given that it was someone else that wrote the lyrics in French, I don't know if it was a straight translation or not. Yeah. Maybe not. Uh, but the, yeah, I take the lyrics from, from what they are. And I, uh, yeah, they're, they're good quality formally, but the, okay, partly to, to do with the, with the content, but it's just over the top submissive. Uh, really over the top submissive, submissive virginal these are the words that my father <laughs> Which, is saying uh, and on my course, podcast uh, <laughs> sung by a woman but uh, written by men yeah. it yeah. was not a woman that wrote uh, about being the shadow of the shadow of the man who just left her for another it was a man who wrote for a woman so in, in, I know we cannot look at things from 50 years ago with uh, today's eyes but still even for those times it was I mean, really given one of your underrated happened. choices I think we can because there's there's one where it's flipped but anyway it's interesting isn't it because like what are we judging are we judging the song by itself the lyrics or the melody because a lot of yeah because there's, there's so many different factors like obviously being english and having terrible french i have no idea what this one was about until just now um so <laughs> but does that is that a factor to people listening to the songs the, the lyrics because obviously for me i would only know the, what sort of song was sung in english i i think you listen to the song with the software in your brain so people will uh, look out for different things um i when i when i have this one as um, uh, overrated or, or or others and over or underrated it's just what i feel I did not set out to 
give X percent to the lyrics, X percent to the melody, and X percent to the performance on the night. Uh, it's just what what struck me uh, most. And but as I said, it's a song I, I very much like. But um, you also said that there was one or maybe more that were better, right? No, no. Well, I said that at the time uh, I was very much hoping that Backsteel or Borrow uh, would would win. Can you sing that to me? Remind you me. know how Backsteel or Borrow. Interesting. Okay, so I I thought it had a, a Cat Stevens vibe. Ah. One of my mum's favourite artists. Okay, interesting. <laughs> um, I like how she gives it a, a big like performance. Like she really gives it really gives it welly. You can see the emotion. Um, it's, it's interesting now you say the lyrics. Why she is giving so much emotion? I like the big production, but when I listened to the studio version, I couldn't find anything from that era. And the one I have now has a terrible like synthetic beat, and it completely kills it. Completely kills it. Um, also, I have Amazon. I don't know if it's better on Spotify. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm I'm, do, I'm doing this on the performance I saw her win with. Yeah, I thought, so I'd give it an eight out of twelve. Um, yeah, I didn't realize that I knew the song. I did. I'm guessing maybe from you listening to it, Paolo, at home. I don't know. I, I feel it was it was surprisingly familiar to me. I actually like it. I think I like it because of the the way it builds from from quiet to loud. The I put orchestral packaging, you know, there's a brass section, there's timpani. Um, in the studio version, you can hear what I think is a bazooki, you know, the, the Greek instrument that I don't, you, you can't hear in the, in, the, in the main performance. But yeah, the lyric, I mean, literally the chorus translates as, after you, I will not be able to live any longer. Only a memory of you. After you, I will have wet eyes, empty hands, a heart without joy. And it's just like, come on, mate. You know, I, I, I feel very similarly that when when a love song is so dramatic, I don't connect with it because I'm just, I, I, hopefully I'm not that dramatic. Don't write in if you've dated me. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I can totally agree with you on, on the lyrics, um, on the lyrics front. But no, I, I thought maybe of the the ones from this, it was the, the more deserved winner. I would give it maybe, mm. yeah, six out of 10, uh, six out of 12, sorry. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think she was fantastic. She, the, her, 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 she's wearing a dress. Her delivery very, is fantastic. Yeah. I, I would give it a 10 out of 12, uh, mm. actually. Okay. On to, On to Salome. Salome. Vivo Vale. Cantando, Spain. Controversial, mm. this. Uh, this uh, it was very controversial. Um, uh, in fact, the, the choice of this one, I, 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 I can listen to it happily. I mean, I would maybe not put it on my playlist, but I put it, but I, I could listen to it uh, happily. It's a, it's a catchy pop song, but it's really to talk about the 1969 uh, uh, contest and context where there were drum roll for winners. Mm. <laughs> Including uh, Lulu, right? Including Lulu. Uh, so it was uh, Marcel, and sorry, Salome uh, with Vivo Cantando, Lulu, Lenicour from the Netherlands with the Troubadour, which for me is one of the all-time uh, favorites um, uh, from uh, Eurovision. Um, but it was quite, there was something funny with the voting. 
And in fact, uh, the following year, there were six, six countries who boycotted the 1970 edition. I remember because Portugal was one of them, because also in 1969, it was particularly traumatic for, for Portugal because we had a song with an absolutely fantastic lyrics and which was super popular in uh, Portugal that got didn't get zero points, but got to, to I think it was classified as the last three. But anyway, that's not why I, I put this one here. Uh, so there was something funny with the voting, and I actually, I think I remember uh, the voting on this one, with people putting up some, some cards, if my memory uh, is not playing any uh, tricks on me. Um, and in, 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 so, so there were six countries that were so unhappy with, uh, with the voting that they boycotted the following year. Uh, Austria, Denmark, Finland, Norway, uh, Portugal, and Sweden didn't. In fact, it was the only time... I think when the Eurovision numbers went significantly down from one year to the other, because if you look from 1957 or 58 from the first one until 1969, it was always on, a, on an upward trend and then suddenly in, in 70 was boom. And already in 2008, uh, sorry, in 1968, there, there, were, there were allegations in a 2008 Spanish documentary that Franco had already read the 1968 uh, edition. Uh, supposedly uh, snatching victory from uh, Cliff Richard and congratulations and uh, uh, Maciel, uh, I think. No, uh, yeah, Maciel with La La La, I think, uh, winning, uh, winning, the, um, winning the previous uh, edition. So I think, again, it's a, it, this is a song I will happily listen to, but I will not put it on my uh, list. And two of the other winners, I mean, Lulu with Boom Bang a Bang, that's an, that's an all-time Eurovision classic. I mean, it was the, the uh, song that uh, my husband and I chose for opening the, the dance at our wedding. Uh, and, 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 and in fact, Lulu, it's a very naughty, the lyrics are really very, very naughty because uh, if you take them, uh, if you don't take them literally and the word bang there, I mean, you can take that song at re as really very hardcore. But of course, this Again, is... Uh, <laughs> I had never thought about this. <laughs> We're going to have to put explicit on the because of the old man that's on here being boom, dirty bang, a bang. I mean, <laughs> are you trying to say that shouts mean something too? Uh, I, I will not delve uh, deeper. Uh, do I regret this invitation? Maybe. Yeah. Okay. And, and the other song, one of the other winners, Lenny Kur from the Netherlands. Even if I don't understand Dutch. Uh, the uh, delivery was fantastic. It's a very nice uh, melody. Uh, yeah, also deserved to win, in my in my opinion. Not Marcel, even though she had. I've now seen it in color for the first time, preparing for the podcast because I would have seen it in black and white uh, uh, back in the day. Um, and the, the dress is fantastic for a performance. Uh, she puts on a very good performance. The three guys in the in the choir also. It's it's very slick. Um, Not Marcel Salome. Salome, sorry, yeah. I keep uh, I keep confusing the two. So uh, yeah, um, nice, but uh, they were much better. In in this case, they were much much better songs. So. It's a lovely dress. Um, I 
wouldn't stand near an open flame. Yeah, I mean, what I don't know what the lyrics are, but it sounds like she's kind of apologizing, and then something happens, and she gets really happy, and then starts doing hip movements and gets all like, "Hey!" So, what is the actual lyrics? How come she suddenly gets all happy and, and jivey? I mean, uh, yeah. I, so I, I Google translated everything. With with this one, I just did the the choruses. Since you arrived, I no longer live crying. I live singing. I live dreaming. But I wonder how long your love. How long your love? What? Okay. Well, I don't know if I. How long your love? I can keep it deep inside of me. So there we go. Uh, that's that's so. I guess yeah. It is. There's. She's happy, but how long is it going to last? And it gets. Yeah, like it gets faster, and then you get a few like Spanish hates, which is always nice. <laughs> Tick the box. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, bizarrely, I gave this a ten out of twelve. Wow. Who knew? Wow. I love this. Yeah. This. This was a weird one. Um, I still don't know what I think about this song. I feel like it's several songs in one because the way it starts and then suddenly she's she's kind of all over the place and she seems quite intense. Like, I don't want to say, was she on drugs? <laughs> but I, I did get that vibe. It was like, she's just staring very intensely with her eyes. Um, and so that dress I found out is a 15 kilogram porcelain jumpsuit. Okay, <laughs> porcelain and she you know she's doing this funny dance when actually dancing was against the rules at the time so uh yeah a little bit of a i guess a fuck you to the to i mean the you say she looks like she's on something but mm-hmm. having the pressure of being the first person to perform in the franco government yes. must be quite intense yes. i guess maybe that's what happens I, I was thinking that also it's like what what dirt does he have on her family that's yeah. kind of <laughs> for, forcing her to be here <laughs> Yeah, I, I really liked the formalness of the performance at the beginning because yeah, I, I was I was doing this in order. So I know that Powder, you we went reverse chronological for overrated and then chronological for underrated. So this was the oldest song until this stage that I'd seen. And the fact that when they come on the stage, there's like a little applause break and they're setting up, it feels very formal, like it's a classical music concert or something like that and then it just launches and it's a bit mad yeah i i genuinely know i i'm gonna give it like a five because i i don't know how i feel like it wasn't bad but i don't know what it was so yeah. Yeah. well my, my scoring will be I, I will give the same score to two uh, this one is uh, around an eight i would say yeah between a six and an eight yeah you know we're talking about like uh, controversial years i guess um i found out that when italy performed in 1974 the Italians refused to show the song because they were having the referendum over divorce and the Italian entry was called C and they thought it was on purpose so they refused to show it so the Eurovision didn't happen in 1974 for that oh, reason. I didn't know that. Pleasantly surprised with uh, with the picks on your list I thought uh, yeah I mean I, I have to say the both lists are quite western European in nature which I guess reflects the, the fact that you you know you've picked from across the ages and mm-hmm. yeah I'm surprised that there was no I don't know no Slovenia or no yeah Estonia or something like that but I uh, using yeah. using some bizarre reason quite like Malta I don't know why <laughs> So, were you as disturbed by how much my beloved father talked about sex throughout this episode? I can't guarantee that the next episode will be similarly family-friendly, but that's why all episodes are marked as explicit in any case. We hope you enjoyed it. Always 
as ever, download, subscribe and review because that really helps us. And you can always get in touch with us. We are at OU Music Pod on Twitter. We're over underrated music pod on Instagram. And you can email us over underrated music pod at gmail.com. See you next week for part two. And I hope you're all well. Bye. <laughs>